Welcome to the Good Research Podcast, where we talk about those topics that most interest you, helping you make your research study the best it can be. And now, here is your host, Dr. Lauren Seifert. This is episode eight of Good Research. I am Dr. Lauren Seifert, and the Good Research podcasts are for research students, as well as researchers who would like to brush up on research techniques and methods. This podcast, episode eight, is a little bit different because we're responding to listener questions. So I have received a list of questions from our podcast administrator, and I'll go through that. Some interesting questions based on what you've heard in the previous podcasts and questions you have about uh, your own research projects. So the first one relates to orientations in research, and a listener asks, What is the difference between critical realism and an action orientation? You've described them as being similar and having the same type of ontology and epistemology. So how are they different? This is a great question, great uh, sort of set of questions. I did in a previous podcast refer to critical realism and action research orientation as being similar uh, in podcast episode one and in three, and then again in episode four. So critical realism and action orientation share an ontology that is associated with objectivism. So a belief that there is a reality that there is some kind of truth there that we could that that is sort of a common truth right and they share an epistemology that is subjectivist that is that we can't necessarily get to the objective reality and so they use subjectivist research techniques and both orientations come at things like surveys and focus groups and interviews by delving into the subjective experience of the individual and or group. Now, I want to point out that there are critical realists who are action researchers. And action researchers who take a critical realistic stance. However, there are critical realists who are not action researchers. And I would say this, those folks differ in that the critical realist will be more likely to try to go back and forth, trying to forge back and forth between the subjective data and what reality is. Critical realists are all about what are these linkages? What is the What is the filter through which we are being subjective and can we learn the nature of it so that we can get to the objective? 
An action researcher is not necessarily interested in that because an action researcher, especially an action researcher who is not a critical realist, is focused on the subjective experience and determining uh, what is practical given the subjective experiences of the people who are involved. So if you have an action researcher in a business setting, for example, who is not a critical realist, and he or she wants to solve a problem, the, the thing that he or she will want to do is to get in there and find out what people's perceptions are and really get into the dialogue with them about what they, they believe and what they think may solve organizational problems. Okay, so I hope that helps. Um, let me know if it only muddies the water and, and uh, I'll, I'll add to it, okay? So now let's go on and uh, we'll answer some additional questions. When, when I'm doing a literature review, how do I determine whether older research articles are useful or whether they are good research? Well, that is a great question. You found something that's an older article and you're not sure whether you should cite it. You see that other people are citing newer articles. What I would say is this. When you're doing your search, look at who has cited that article more recently. Is it an article that is showing up in more recent publications that it's being cited and referenced? That will tell you a lot and how people are talking about that article. Okay? If it doesn't have a citation history, it doesn't mean it's useless. It could be something good that you know people missed. But at the same time, we have a way of sort of finding things and in citing them and they build and build and build upon each other. So look to see who has cited it, okay? One uh, listener has asked, is there a value in trying to recreate someone else's research study and why should I do that? Yes, this can be very useful. It's called replication. And replication is designed to help us see whether uh, someone's study can actually be generalized to another group of people or another individual. Now, this is very much a consideration in conventional traditional science because we're trying to get to truth and we are trying to have collect data that will allow us to generalize. Now, I will say this, doing a, a complete replication of someone else's work as a dissertation project is generally regarded as a no-no. Every institution that I have ever been uh, affiliated with requires students who are working on a doctoral project to do something novel. It has to, it can build on other people's work, but it has to answer a new question. So keep that in mind. If you're working on a doctoral project to do a complete replication is probably not gonna be something you'll be permitted to do, okay? Now, a related question is, uh, what if I run a study twice and the data from the two different studies conflict? Well, this can be very interesting no matter what your research orientation. 
Uh, if you're in conventional traditional science, then what you want to do is go back into your methodology and practice that uh, methodological reflexivity. Is there something going on with your sampling procedures? Is there something going on with the, the uh, instruments that you have used? Are the instruments valid and reliable? That is, do they measure what you think they measure? And do they do so across different incidents? incidences. So this is really important. And I would say that uh, having data that conflict gives you an opportunity to really explore and think about what's happening in your research methodology. Now, if you're not in conventional traditional science, it's still an opportunity. Why would there be differences between studies? And, and what, it, what richness can you add to descriptions of events and experiences by looking at how the data conflict or oppose each other, okay? Uh, how do I become an established researcher in my area of interest? Well, I think the most important thing is to find a good mentor, someone you trust who shares uh, your research orientation and your interest in a particular subject matter, and, and importantly, someone who has experience doing research on the things that you're interested in studying. And I think this is a critically important part of what we do when we train in research, that we are, in essence, apprentices working with someone who has forged part of the road before us and who can give us good guidance. Uh, now, I think this was a particularly interesting question about journals. How do I know if a journal is a top tier journal? How do I know if a journal is a respected journal? Well, there are all sorts of ways that we assess journals and I've worked in writing and publishing and editing for many, many years. And I will tell you that uh, the, one of the best things you can do is look where the top people in the field of study are publishing. But there are certainly lots of other good reputable journals out there. And so you can look at who they are citing. Um, they're not all just citing one journal, right? So what are the other journals in which that literature is appearing? So that's a really good way for you to figure it out. But in addition to that, go to a library. And I recommend going to the library that is associated with the educational institution that you're part of, the university or college. College and university librarians are trained to understand scholarly work. And so they can use a lot of different things, impact factors, journals of publication. There are a lot of different lists that come out that help librarians to figure out what are the top places to publish. And so really avail yourself of the, the folks in library science. That's what they spend their career doing. Uh, they're interested in helping people to understand journals and that very question. And then a final question that we got uh, this time around from a listener. 
if I have been doing research in one area for a number of years, how easy is it to move to another area and become established? Well, that's a great question, and I have actually done that a couple of times. Uh, I work across a number of different areas of research and methodologies as well. And what I would say to you is, it's not easy, but you can do it. Uh, it's very important to understand and be trained in the area that you're moving into. And it's very important to, to look to the people who are established in that field and to understand what sort of training you need in order to be able to do research in that area. Uh, but it's not impossible. Uh, and again, uh, the training and uh, the looking for mentoring, these are critically important things. In addition, collaborating with others who have um, knowledge or, and or skills that may fill in gaps in your knowledge and skills, that's a very useful thing to do as well. Well, thanks for the questions and I really appreciate uh, the listeners and uh, you, you guys ask you all ask great questions, males and female listeners alike. And uh, so just want to say, keep them coming. Keep those questions coming. Thanks a bunch. Have a great day. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Good Research. To find more episodes like this, go to www clovepress.com and click on the resource link. Have a great day.